Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is nighttime here in Israel now, January 8th, 2024. Already the 28th day of Tevet, 5784. Um, if I sound tired, it's because I am. I haven't been sleeping well. Last week, I joined a group from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They invited me to join them to go down south. And um, I went to Kfar Aza, which is one of the places that... Um, bore the brunt of what happened on October 7th. And it is, um, I, I can't, I can't even find the words for what it's like to go there, just to see one house after the other destroyed and the signs on the houses that were spray painted by the security forces. When we got there, there are two bodies inside. There is a terrorist inside. There are body parts on the couch. This house had two people that are taken hostage in their names, and this house had three people murdered in it. Um, the first sign that something is wrong, because it's a kibbutz, is when you get off the bus and you smell rotting fruit. Because for anyone who's been in an agricultural community, they don't let their fruit rot on the trees. Immediately it's picked, because that's what you do. So when you smell rotting fruit and you see moldy fruit on the ground, that you know right away that the people aren't there and that something is terribly wrong. Although the people that took us around, the army spokesperson and the police spokesman told us that it was much preferable to the smell of death that hung over there for a few days. So I am, I, I washed my hands when I left there as one does when they leave a cemetery. I washed off my shoes when I came home and all my clothes. And it was, um, for me as a Jewish mother living in Israel, it, it was also, this could have been my children. This could still be my children giving the enemy that we're facing. So considering how really traumatized I am just by a visit there, I am really honored to have um, on the podcast today Naomi Nussbaum, who's been the executive director of One Family, as opposed to One Israel. A lot of times I speak about One Israel Fund, the organization that I work for that very much focuses on Judea and Samaria. But One Family Fund is a completely different organization who unfortunately are much, much busier since October 7th than they were before, and they were pretty busy. So uh, Naomi is on the show today to share the, there's no other expression for the God's work that they do um, in trying to repair some of what the evil ones have wrought. So Naomi, thank you so much for joining me uh, on Rejuvenation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So for those of my listeners who don't know, and I imagine that most of them do, give us a little background on One Family. You didn't start on October 8th, not at all. No. We started 22 and a half years ago, around the time of the Sparrow bombing. The Belsberg's family was planning a bat mitzvah for their daughter, Michal. And the party was scheduled for a few weeks later, but the bombing happened on the day of Michal's 12th birthday. So they were just devastated and heartbroken, and they decided to cancel the party. How could they possibly celebrate at a time when so many were suffering? And as her bat mitzvah project, Michal took that money and went around to the hospital rooms, visiting the survivors and asking what she could do. How could she help? What's a little thing or a big thing that she could do for them? And, you know, somebody needed this and somebody needed that. Um, I remember that there was a, a woman who survived the attack whose stroller was stained with blood. Mm -hmm. She needed a new stroller for her toddler, and she really wanted a pink one. 
And Michal went to several different stores trying to hunt down a pink stroller. You mm-hmm. know, so it's those kind of personal touches right. they started out doing from the very beginning. And what was initially Michal's small bat mitzvah project turned into a very mm-hmm. large nonprofit because they realized what need there was to take care of the victims. And they've been doing it ever since. Right. So that's in the middle of what I refuse to call an intifada because I do not like using expressions that are foisted upon us by our enemies. What I call the Oslo Wars, uh, the tremendous wave of terrorism that lasted for years. And Sabaros, for those who don't remember, was a pizza shop in the center of Jerusalem. Um, that was terrorists came and pretty much blew it to smithereens and killed quite a few people. So the Bellsbergs take this tragedy and decide that they are going to turn the light up higher, as we say, and do good. So what have what have they done um, over the past you know the past decade? Oh gosh, well they have their headquarters in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They have four other warm houses around Israel. They have several coordinators who are like social workers who are the first point of contact. They go and track down the families of a terror attack. They introduce themselves. They show up uh, at a funeral, at a shiva home, in a hotel room, and they comprehensively address every need that the entire family has. And the Bellsbergs have uh, created this huge organization that provides emotional support, financial support, and legal support when needed. Mm -hmm. Many levels of different support that people need. And we have different demographic uh, group therapy sessions, individual therapy, all kinds of alternative therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this is only for Israel, right? They're based in Israel, and it's only for Israelis? Yes, we help Israeli terror victims. Okay, so this may, I don't know. How is, how is a terror victim defined as such? So I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, I met somebody who's in a wheelchair. She's been in a wheelchair for the last eight years. She was hit head on by an Arab in a very large truck who deliberately crossed the line and smashed into her car. Now, it is clear that, it was clear to everybody, really, that it was a terror attack, but it was marked down as a car accident. And therefore, she wasn't registered. The Israeli government gives all kinds of perks or help also for terror victims. How, how, do, you, how do you make that distinction? Where do you get your information from? from- we take our information from the government sources, right? Okay. Uh, as our mandate says, we help terror victims in the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. The government has to say that an attack okay. is officially a terror attack. Mm-hmm. Now, particular situation, she might need legal advocacy or some kind of additional investigation. So we might be able to help Mm -hmm. that way to get classified as a terror attack so that she can access different services. That's one of the first things we do for the terror victims is Mm -hmm. getting everything from the government that they deserve. So like, for example, the the people who were at the Nova at the, um, the music festival that occur, you know, the big attack also on October 7th. Is that is that a group that you would help? Are they considered are they considered victims of that of the terror wave of that day as well? A hundred percent. Well, right. I, okay. I understand more of what I mean. There were hundreds of people killed, right? At the festival, right. And I I don't know the number that were taken hostage, mm-hmm. also, right? Right. So certainly, every single one of their families is mm-hmm. is part of your circle, and anyone okay, and anyone who was there. 
And then I imagine that other people there who lived were severely wounded uh, and severely traumatized. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So I I imagine that all of them would be eligible for our services. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think really the entire country right now is suffering. I was going to say that, that at some point this entire country is going to have to. We're not the same people than we were on October 6th. Correct. And I would have an easier time answering these questions mm-hmm. before October 7th. Right. Right. Because right. On October 7th, everything changed. Are the displaced families terror victims? If they lost their, their home and their community and their job and their possessions, mm-hmm. but they're alive well in a hotel? I don't know. So I think right. everything is going to be redefined. It totally redefined. So you have, I assume, therapists of all types on your staff? Yes. Okay. So I. And I mean, one of the things that's really come to light is that the faster you get in to do therapy, the better, Um, whether it's rapid eye movement or all kinds of different therapies. If the brain doesn't have time to like hardwire that awful memory and if somehow it can shift it out or put it in a place where it's not that overwhelming, then the person has a chance to has a better chance to move on with their lives. Is that what you're finding as well? Uh, Yes, that is true. Uh, everybody's experience is different, right? And the different levels of trauma that people are dealing with, uh, there are differences, right? Mm-hmm. right? I would also say that they are going to have to rewrite the textbook to figure out how to heal people right. from the torture right. that, that you know, is kind of unprecedented in our times, in modern yeah. times. Yeah, I've been reading some of the people who are involved with them are saying there is, there's nowhere to go. They're just kind of dealing with this on the fly. There's, there's no textbooks for this at all. There's no research that has been done um, on this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Modern mm-hmm. world has not seen this kind of barbaric, animalistic, right. and celebrated torture. Mm-hmm. Celebrated, yes. You know, it's like torture on top of torture. It's... That, it's, that it's celebrated and they would do it again in a heartbeat if they were given the chance. So one family I know refers to, we're all one family, but does it also refer to the type of therapy that you give? It's not just, just dealing with the victim themselves, but also with the entire family around them, how they relate to them. How does that work? Uh, it sure does. I mean, it's kind of like you just lost your, your family in an attack, and now mm-hmm. we're going to take care of you like your family would take care of you. Mm-hmm. So. Back to the Sparrow bombing story, there were two orphans, both parents and the older siblings were killed in the attack. And there were these two little girls left. And the Bellsbergs just, you know, Michal bought them gold necklaces and said, you know, this is awful, but we're going to be your family. We're going to help you get through this. Mm-hmm. And they have been helping people with that kind of love and care ever since. So, yes, we behave like family. We create a loving family environment and we're going to do whatever every member of your family needs. And, but do you work with the family, like assuming that the person's family wasn't all killed, they under, you know, one of the hostages comes back and she was, who knows what happened to her. Okay. You teach the family also how to be able to help her? Um, it's not, so yes, the, the answer is yes. But also, it's not just about teaching them how to deal with her. They have each sustained their own trauma. Absolutely. Just thinking about what happened to their relative. Mm -hmm. Right? And some stories are leaking. 
into the public about what's happened to a few hostages. We don't know what's happened to most of them yet, but there are reports that are beyond dark and ugly. And every single one of their family members necessarily is traumatized. Right. Now, before October 7th, when there's a terror attack, God forbid, let's say a, an imaginary child was killed and the parents are suffering horribly from trauma. We have to teach them how to relate to each other again as husband and wife. We have to teach them how to go on living and provide the care that is needed for each of the other surviving children. Mm -hmm. uh, the children are suffering because they lost a sibling and now their parents can't give them the same level of emotion uh, of that yes. loving parenting that they were used to before. So every the a terror attack affects each member of the family differently and it affects, affects all the relationships within. Mm -hmm. So that's the really complicated piece that uh, people outside of this field might not be aware of, that it's a very complex trauma mm -hmm. for the entire family. I remember a couple of weeks ago hearing a parent, I believe, who said, if, if, if it turns out that my daughter was raped and really sexually abused, I won't be able to deal with it. I don't want to hear about it. And I remember thinking, and I'm not judging anybody ever, ever, ever. But I remember thinking, then how is she going to get past it if you don't want to hear about it? Or if, you know, it's not, it didn't happen to you. It happened to her. So, you know, and I saw that, that actually got me thinking, like, this father's going to need the tools to be able to allow the space for his daughter to be able to work through what she went through. It's, he can't be the center of the story. Right. There, um, we're entering like such a difficult psychological terrain. And there are no judgments. Look, no. Uh, I'm, I'm leading a mission for one family, right? To go. Oh, tell us about it. Okay. Well, I was triggered just looking at the, at the itinerary of all the different places we're going down south. It sounds like you were there last week. As a human, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to process this kind of atrocity, and it didn't happen to me. Right. I m might also have the same reaction that the mother had. Like, I might just spontaneously die if I heard about re repeated rape and genital mutilation mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. my daughter. I might actually die of pain to hear that that happened to my child. So there, there is no judging. This is a really challenging, difficult, and ugly psychological space. And the people involved in one family are actively choosing to roll up their sleeves and dive in. And I don't think any of us have the answers, but we're coming from a place of love and we're going to figure this out together because that's the only way we're going to get through it. There, I mean, the reputation of the organization is so wonderful in terms of not running away from what's difficult. You're like running, you know, that's one of the things we say about Israel, right? That if you're in, if you happen to be in Israel and it rarely happens, but occasionally you'll hear shooting on a street, right? The normal human reaction is to run the other way. <laughs> and in Israel, people are running towards because people want to help and they want to save. And I think that your organization has definitely proved itself as running in there. And doing, you know, what they can for people that are really strangers. I mean, let's face it, you could say, oh, that's really sad. But that didn't happen to me or anyone that I know. It's not what you're about at all. 
They, they absolutely are emotional first responders and they run towards the flame. They're running to the funerals and the shiva homes and the hospital rooms. Uh, the one family workers and volunteers have given up their Fridays. So instead of preparing for Shabbat, they go to all the hospitals to visit as many soldiers as they possibly can. And they bring food and gifts and balloons and, and anything for a fleeting smile or a fleeting moment of joy to try mm-hmm. to spirits they're definitely running into the flames so soldiers are also part of your circle even though you could say it's war and not terror war and Does terror no. okay, okay. Hamas is trying to kill every single one of us mm-hmm. there's no difference for israelis between right. war and terror they right. don't want us to exist they would commit genocide in a heartbeat if if we if our soldiers weren't there to defend us so it's it's all the same. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges that we're going to have now that's only really starting to be made public is how many phys- massive physical injuries there have been. In addition to the emotional, we have many, many soldiers now in wheelchairs with either one or both legs blown off, blinded. A lot of what the enemy is using are explosives that you know, if it doesn't kill them, blows off the lower half of their body. And I think the numbers are really unprecedented in Israel on how many people we now have. How are you, do you, do you, sorry to get into details, in addition to emotional support, do you also help with, let's say, getting a wheelchair or, you know, some, or is that what the, does the government step in there? Like, where exactly does that break down if they need a ramp into their house or something like that? Okay. The government is supposed to cover all of the surgeries and and physical care that they need mm-hmm. for attack, whether they're a soldier or a civilian. Okay. Now, sometimes um, they need the victims need advocacy to get a little bit more, uh, and I can give you some examples if you want. Sure. Because okay, so there was a woman who was rammed uh, outside of the shuk. I think. F- Maybe five people were rammed last mm-hmm. year. The car, the car ran into them intentionally. Okay. Intentionally jumped up onto the sidewalk and started mowing down people coming out of the shuk. And she was a young bride that just returned from her honeymoon. And she and her husband had rented like a fifth floor tiny walk up after they got married. And her pelvis, knees and ankles were crushed in the, in the hmm. ramming. So not only did she need a wheelchair, her legs had to be fully extended after all the operations to heal properly. And she lived in a five floor, five floor walk up, which didn't have enough space for the uh, extended legs to turn around. Uh So they one family had to advocate for them Mm -hmm. and the government to pay for her to have some kind of flat hotel room for a couple of months while she was going through many surgeries. And healing. Mm-hmm. That's hugely important. And I'm sure you know how to do this after having done it for so long. They do in Israel. Yes, exactly. They, have, the they experience. do have a relationship with the government agencies and they have mm-hmm. advocacy. They have to go to court sometimes on behalf of the victims. Mm-hmm. So before the last three months, I, I like it sounds so insane to even use no, the normal terror that we had here. Okay. Not the genocidal terror that just put it up to a to a, a completely different place. Um, do you run, do you run programs for kids? Like in the summer, do you get people together? Because 
imagine the language of of being a terror victim and not but not wanting to consider yourself a victim because that's also something that I hear from people that word victim itself is loaded you know something happened to me out of control which is true how you deal with it though is different so do you facilitate um let's say young mothers or you know people would have the same coming from similar places to be able to meet each other support each other Absolutely. So you're right about the word victim. Many prefer survivors and some don't want to be defined by either of those words. They Mm -hmm. are Sarah or whoever they were before. They are a person. And this is what that happened in their life. So um, we're using the words victims and survivors broadly to have a general conversation, but it is offensive to some people and we should be uh, sensitive to that. We have support groups for all the different demographics. We have like a, a bereaved mother's cooking club. They get together to make the favorite dish of their child who was murdered. Mm. And they retell the story and it's a way for them to come back to life. And we have a cookbook with the stories and the recipes, which was very therapeutic for the mothers to be able to come back to life in that way and cook mm-hmm. that favorite recipe. Um, we have a bereaved father's choir for the fathers to help them wow. sing their lost child's favorite song again. We have um, a a large youth division with many different levels of support for all the children. And we have play therapy for the kids who are too young to go even to the youth division. Mm -hmm. We have um, so many different types. But yeah, and there's, you know, women who get together for hydrotherapy and drama or uh, psychodrama, they call Mm -hmm. it, or Art therapy, right? Right. There are senior citizens that get together in one of the warm houses on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they do um, they do art therapy for a couple of hours together with an art therapist. There's a communal meal that they all share, and then group therapy afterwards. And the psychologist has individual therapy in a room in the back. Right. And they spend a whole day together, those seniors, and it gives them something to do in a loving support system. So yes, we have uh, even we have uh, the young adults. We have orphans groups and young adults groups. We have young men who are on a soccer team together. Wow, many different kinds. Right, right. Just to try and I guess integrate the, tr- the tragedy that happened in some way and move on. If I don't even know if move on is the right way of putting it, but still have full and meaningful lives. Yes. Now, a big difference from before October 7th to after October 7th. You said when there was normal terror attacks before October 7th, Terrible right? Terrible thing to say. No, well, there isn't language to describe what there just isn't. right yeah. now, right? Yeah. Okay, there would be isolated terror attacks before, and you could right. write the, the few names of the Correct. victims. Right. We didn't have 1,300 people killed in one day. Right. right. So you could easily track down, and our, and that was what that is the role of our coordinators. Mm-hmm. Find that person, go to their, go to the funeral, go to the shiva home, introduce yourself, pull them in. Go to mm-hmm. the hospital, introduce yourself, bring mm-hmm. them a check, pull them in. Let's get them uh, into therapy. Now, the big shift is that we plan an event in a city and put out a public invitation for the entire city. If you are newly widowed from since October 7th, please come to this event for widows. And we have some of the widows from before October 7th who have survived and, and we are introducing them to the brand new 
widows who are completely engulfed in grief and trauma. And there's something so supportive and helpful about seeing and connecting with a woman who's stood in your shoes and found a way to go on because Mm -hmm. it's so dark and painful. Sometimes it's hard to breathe. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning and somebody else did it. And she can say what was the most helpful thing that helped her get out of bed in the morning or what helped her continue to want to live Mm -hmm. after tragedy struck. And that really makes a big difference, a huge difference. I saw a video a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was a former member of Knesset, I don't remember the context, who had a little, I won't say party, but she had a gathering for pregnant, pregnant widows, new widows of soldiers. But and, you know, I, they just panned the room and all these beautiful young women sitting there with their hands on their bellies, knowing that this child is not going to know their father. And um, by the end of that day, there was another woman added to their list. As it, And it just, you look at it and you think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how we contain all this. I just, I don't know. And what you're doing, what your organization is doing, I think is, Really, the only way to get out of this is to help others. Because otherwise, you, and again, thank God, thank God, thank God, you know, um, I don't even want to say, but you could just wallow in our people's grief until none of us would get out of bed in the morning. And having this goal and saying, I need to help other people, there are people in worse shape than I am, and I need to get out there and help them, must give tremendous meaning to and, and impetus to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. The the worst days. Yeah. The and also the victims the victims from prior come new victims, it's therapeutic for themselves, in addition to being helpful for Mm -hmm. the new people. That's the beautiful cycle, and that's part of that word family that we were discussing in the beginning. Right. Right? And that's works in the youth division, there are counselors for for every like every bunk. Like in in English Mm -hmm. we would say Right. Think about it structured as a camp because there's a, a group of 10 or 20 kids and they have their counselors. But then there's the larger division and the different age groups within and the people overseeing and all of that. Wow. So you have that structure, right? But there are kids who grow up in our youth division and then become counselors and they become mentors. They become big brothers and sisters and they have one on one relationships. And it's just as therapeutic for the people who are giving back to give it over again to new Mm -hmm. people. It is for the newest people to have help that they really connect with that really changes things for them. I know one of my nieces um, was one of your first. I don't know how not clients, but one of the first people who participated, many, her son was, Yehuda Shoham was killed when he was five months old uh, in 2001. And you were also just, it was that whole time period. And I remember her telling me then, and I haven't asked her since um, if she stayed involved, but I remember her telling me then how important it was for her to know that she wasn't alone and there were people who were going through this and there were people that cared and were helping her, you know, to deal with it. If she feels yeah on october 7th right you know in unspeakable ways and she might be able to offer an uh, like Mm -hmm. you can't define how valuable her insights and her experience Mm -hmm. 
in to help somebody else. For me, I feel like if any pain that I have had in my life has taught me to be sensitive in a particular way that can help somebody, then like that in some kind of way that heals the pain or it makes the pain, it doesn't make it okay. It's not like anybody no. ever has the right to do this, but it's somehow elevated and made beautiful if you can turn your pain into help for someone else. And for those of us who believe in higher power, and I know that many of my listeners do, when horrible things have happened to us, and they've happened to all of us in one way or the other, um, and you look back and you realize that like God needed, you know, you, you needed to go through something in order to become the person that you are now so that you can help others. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an awful road to go on, but it does give certain meaning to events that otherwise you think are just random, like, you know. How could, how could this possibly, how could this possibly be? Um, so because I have a, a graduate degree in psychology, I'm still signed up to a lot of different, you know, newsletters and things like that. And reading what some of the psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists in general are writing about this, they're, they're, there's some astonishment as, as to how resilient Israelis are. There was a level of, uh, you know, almost like awe into, um, how, there's something about at least some of the Israelis that they're treating that they didn't expect to see uh, an ability to re to really try and overcome. Um, and I would not be surprised because that's what Israel does in every other sphere. So why not this one? If there are people around the world, because there are so many traumatized people around the world, whether it's from terror or from tsunami, whatever it is, and we know already, I know, I'm just friends of mine who are therapists who have gone to Thailand and other places when there have been tsunamis and helped people with the trauma that they went when they saw their whole family get washed away um, with the expertise that unfortunately has been accrued here in Israel in dealing with so many victims. Um, is that something that, I mean, are you familiar with that? Is that something that, like, are your therapists or the people that you work with, do they go and they, you know, speak at conferences and they're able to help others? outside of Israel? Okay. I have a lot of different things to say. <laughs> so there is one amazing woman. Yes. Uh, she, her son was murdered in an attack last year. Um, and she's a social worker. And I spoke with her in, in Boca a month or two ago. And she has such, um, such a positive mindset and she's so strong and she looks for the the small miracles that Hashem gives her all the time. And this is not an Orthodox lady and, and it's none of my business right. what her level of religion is. And that's right. not even the conversation. She's just such a, she's kind of enlightened and in a hopeful sort of a way that she is very aware of every single miracle that Hashem does for her. And the fact that she can do that after losing a mm -hmm. five-year-old son, six-year-old son, mm -hmm. um, inspiring and breathtaking on a whole new level. So I spoke with her and I'm doing more speeches with her because nobody can say it like she can because she lived through it. Right. She's still positive and that gives so much hope. Now, the next thing I want to say is that it's the stereotype the stereotypical Israeli is the Sabra, right? They right. are so tough and they are so strong and they get their hands dirty and they all go to the army. Um, I would say they're resilient because it's so hard to get anything done in Israel. Right? <laughs> right. You you have to push and push and push and push. So something that you learn from an early age is to be strong and tough. 
on on the whole. Okay. Now, in one family, the majority of people we see are broken because terror is an insidious form of trauma that is different. It is qualitatively different than any other form of trauma. Because, you know, as we said, it's deliberate. Right. Enjoyed it. They'll do it again tomorrow. They'll do it to you. They'll do it to your child. Someone made a choice. It wasn't a random earthquake or something. Right. Someone made a choice to hurt you. Yeah. Right. And they would do it again in a heartbeat. And somebody probably videotaped it and they're singing in the streets back wherever they come from. Um, That is really it shakes somebody to the core. It's different than losing a parent to cancer. It's different than losing a relative in a car accident because it's so deliberate. And even if you kill the attacker, that's their form of reward because then they get all their rewards in their afterlife. And there are thousands more terrorists who will gladly take their place in a second. So the, the, the real fear doesn't go away and it can be crippling. So I see a lot of people people who don't think they belong in Israeli society because they're broken and they have shame around feeling broken. And that is so sad because there needs to be a bigger space for emotional release. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a little bit more understanding, right? Israelis are so tough because they know they need to be tough to stay alive. But when somebody's life is shattered in this particular way, there isn't, uh, necessarily mainstream understanding of how to be emotional and vulnerable and deal with this kind of trauma. Now, that all might change because there was already like a revolution of, of men from the second uh, Lebanon war, right? right? With, right. There's a huge movement of people with PTSD that isn't being spoken about enough, that isn't being addressed well enough. Uh, they need more trauma services. They need it more and they need it better. And they need it faster. Mm-hmm. And now every single person has survived something like the Lebanon war with what just happened, right? Mm-hmm. So they need the benefit of our services. We have to up our game in terms of trauma counseling for every single Israeli and every Jew around the world right now. Um, one family did host for um, for internists, like for medical doctors, the protocol that is supported by the that is used by the ministry of defense so we hosted 60 medical doctors and taught them the top of the line protocol for trauma counseling so that when they're seeing their regular patients they can help them overcome trauma and we're doing that uh, in batches we're doing it in hebrew in english and in french so that there's a large group of doctors who are going to be trained and will continue to be trained, right? Because there aren't enough trauma workers in Israel right now to deal with all of this trauma. Right, right. So we're doing everything that we can to to scale and expand and heal the the people of Israel who really need that healing and who consider themselves broken. We have to take care of that. You know, right? Is if uh, If we're a chain, we're only as strong as our weakest link, exactly. right? And in terms of the Jewish people, we have got to get that that weak link off the bottom and we have to strengthen them and lift them up to keep the society t- 
together as a whole and functioning at their best. Mm -hmm. Well, you made so many important points now, really. Um, I mean, I know a little bit, my, one of my daughters has PTSD from her army service and it's in the past few years. So I'm familiar with this struggle that soldiers had because soldiers are soldiers, right? So, okay. So you had your trauma, you had whatever, but get past it. You know, you're, that's what battlefields are like. So move along. And many of them can't. And, you know, to some degree, I think to myself, not that I'm glad that they're traumatized, but it shows how human we are. You know, if we just went through these horrible things and didn't feel and didn't care, that would be terrible. Like we have with underneath all that toughness, there are sensitive, beautiful souls that don't want to kill anyone and don't want to hurt anyone. We just want to be left alone. But it's okay to be both. It's okay to fight when we need to fight on any level, whether it's actually on a battlefield or what you're doing, which is also a type of a battlefield, without a doubt. Um, and But also be able to admit that, you know, we are broken and, and, and it hurts. And, and these things we're going to carry forever because this is not normal. This is not normal. Not normal. And the same way that the psychological field is catching up with second generation trauma for Holocaust survivors yes. and third generation trauma to, to Holocaust survivors, there also exists the trauma from the soldiers from the previous wars, that the PTSD that was never healed because, no, you don't no. just get over it. No. And, and that has effects on their children and Absolutely. their children, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we don't even have time to think about the generational trauma that's going to happen from right now because we're in the middle of it. <laughs> we're still in the middle of it, right? Someone will do that research in 50 years. Exactly. But it will be too late because mm -hmm. you said you got to heal trauma immediately. You can't wait for it to sink in and get worse and become a pattern. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, scar a wound that doesn't go away yeah. yeah so we have to be very smart about trauma and and address it in a very real open honest way and and roll up our sleeves and and help everybody mm -hmm. in any way that we can so um so where do where do you get your funding from how does one family it's a huge organization how do you manage it's all it's all private donors yeah donors some foundations absolutely okay. Are you listening, everybody? My listeners. I've I have a great group of listeners who care so much. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. So if your donors want to roll up their sleeves, we are taking international donors on a mission to Israel in a few weeks. We're leaving on January twenty eighth. We're going to tour the south. We are going to volunteer. We're gonna see an army base. We're gonna we're truly going to see the devastation in the south. Mm -hmm. And we are gonna soldiers in the hospitals, but we are going to adopt families. Mm. And there's an emotional component and a financial component to that project. There's a $10,000 Adopt-A-Family donation. That donation is going to give your adopted family um, financial support for their monthly bills, right? We're talking about rent or mortgage, food, clothing, utilities, and they're also always already going to receive therapy and be part of the one family community. But that extra financial support is going to allow them time to grieve properly and get all the intensive trauma therapy that they need to receive right now. Mm -hmm. and, and the emotional component 
is that when they come on the mission with us, they're going to get to meet this family and bring them a meal and eat with them and talk with them, cry with them, laugh with them and bond with them and create a connection that will hopefully uplift both families to get them out of these dark times and back into living again. Mm -hmm. So that's in a few weeks. Um, We need to buy a building in the South buy, dedicate, expand our services. We need to scale probably to triple the size that we were doing before, which means hiring between 20 and 40 more employees, mm-hmm. uh, social workers, trauma trauma counselors, right. therapists. Um, so there is a huge need for financial support so that we can scale and support all these people. And we want to do this adopt-a-family. Right. Um, the volunteering opportunities are more about baking and delivering things because right. our population isn't going to be great with people passing through with, with one-timers. That's why the Adopt-A-Family mission is paired with the, the financial component. Mm-hmm. Those people are investing in the family and will stay with them. We want people to create the connection where they're texting with each other. It's not a zoo. You're not coming by and seeing the terror victims in a cage at the moment. I hate to be cynical, but there is some of that going on here that is I'm having a hard time with. This is the newest thing in Israel, and it's not the newest thing in Israel. It's deeply hurtful. This is us. This is our society. And if you want to come in and connect and help and make the world a better place by your actions, please. But if you want to just put in the checkbox, oh, I was there um, and I saw then maybe just stay home. <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, like there are people who want to roll up their sleeves uh, and pick in a field. And that's yeah. wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we need that too. For, for sure. people uh, who we need to help take care of the animals uh, and the, the farm animals, the, the pets who are displaced, right? Because there is some need, but the people cannot be seen as a box to check off. Right. You know, I was in Nachal Oz also last week. The, the the terrorists attacked the the dairy shed. They they attacked the cows and tried to burn down the dairy shed. Now you would think that, like after what they did to the people, that wouldn't be. But I I couldn't. I was like, why why would you? Well, just just evil to be evil, just destroying just to destroy. It was so out of check, and I thought to myself, okay, the only way. The only way to be who we're supposed to be, who we were mandated to be, is to do everything we can, first of all, to stop them, and also just to be the best that we can be. Because there's a ba- I believe there's a balance of energies in this world. If there are going to be that many bad energies, then we have to up our game to beyond where we thought we could ever go. And that's going to be the only way to save this planet, because they cannot win. They just cannot win, not just because of Israel, because of every decent human being on this, in this world. It's just so much bigger than we are. So much. It really is. The forces that are uniting behind this terror attack are too big. We can't let this slide. Israel will not exist, but the free world will not exist if Israel... This is your test, everybody. But my people know that. The people listening to this know that very, very, very well. So I love your message to push beyond all boundaries and do more good than you ever thought capable of doing. Right. And that's the legacy we're going to leave for our children in our DNA is you take what the skills that you got and you triple them because you have to not for yourself, but for the people around you. It's so true. 
You know, uh, my heart was racing after your introduction when you said where you went, because yeah. I'm you know, so nervous about going myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is, I, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I personally adopted a family and I'm not somebody of means who, who has, right. you know, right. and, and I chose to do this. Um, one of my, I have a college age son who's thinking about coming on the mission with me. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to bear witnessing this and I'm going to adopt a family and talk about this. I'm breaking language barriers. I'm breaking my own psychological barriers and fears and, and I'm breaking everything that I have inside me personally to do this mission because I'm, I'm used to helping individual terror victims in my office where I'm safe in Neck, New Jersey, right? Right. And this is a whole new world for me. And um, I'm sure there are donors out there listening saying, I could do that if I wanted, but I don't know if I want to. That's a really uncomfortable ask. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the space we, we have to push ourselves. We have to, we right. acknowledge that it's uncomfortable and we're going to be crying every day. And then we say, okay, we're going to cry. We're going to get through it and we're going to find something to laugh about and we're going to find some way to be hopeful and we're going to save a family from depression. We're going to change a kid's life. We're going to make some some small impact on one person or five people and that will change their world. Right. And be grateful all the time that you're the ones helping and not getting the help. It's like I've said to my kids since they were little, always give charity and be grateful that you can give and don't have to get because that is not that is not uh, taken for granted. What you have and the abilities that you have are because Hashem needs you to have those abilities to help other people, whether it's financial or psychological or whatever. Now is the time. Now is the time to take all of that and make it happen. Um, Yeah, and that's, I think, what we all have to do. I think that's what we all have to do. So thank you so much um, for joining me today, for explaining One Family Fund and everything that you do, everything that you still need you know, to continue to do, unfortunately. Um, my prayer is that you don't add one other name to your list ever, ever. For October 7th, we used to say, in all seriousness, we hope to go out of business very soon. Any yeah. day now, go out of business, meaning Any we hope now. that nobody needs us anymore ever again. Uh, and now we can't even joke about closing down, we have to beg every single person out there to please roll up your sleeves and help in any right. way that you right. have to get through right. this together. And what I have found with the things that I've done in my life that I thought helped other people were the greatest gifts that ended up happening to me um, because it just made me appreciate what I have so much more and uh, appreciate really the moments. And that's what we have to do. Too many of us take too many things for granted and that we can never do. Okay, Naomi, thank you so much. How do people get in touch with you if they, if they want to? Ah, they, so our website is onefamilyfundus.org. All of my information is there. My email Amazing. is at onefamilyfundus.org. And that's for anyone even outside the United States because I have listeners in Australia and Norway and all over the globe. Okay, they can be in touch with you. Within Israel, that's different, but you'll find it on the website or you'll call me and I'll connect you and uh, and I'm here and if anyone has trouble finding her you can always be in touch with me and I'll connect you okay lovely conversation thank you so much thank you for everything you do really really okay everyone 
<sighs> Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation, the Land of Israel Network. Um, really nothing to add. So just thanks to Ben and to Tabitha. And I hope wherever you are, you are well. That's it for today. Goodbye for now. <laughs>